Which brings us kind of to our point, and I'm not sure how familiar you guys are. We're, we're not really a liturgical church here at Family Bible. Um, do you think? <laughs> we have a liturgy, you know. Um, some people would come in and they would, they would say, what is this? What are you all doing here? But we do have a form of worship, a way that we worship. And one of the things that we do, and we didn't do it last year, and, and, but we did it the year before, is we celebrate Advent. We remember Advent. And I just want to kind of start by introducing Advent a little bit. For those of you who may not know, now I know, like I was raised Roman Catholic, so we know Advent and Roman Catholicism, and, uh, and maybe you did too. And so you know Advent pretty well. But maybe you, you're not. Maybe you weren't churched. And, and so that's um, where you come from. And Advent is this time of waiting. You know, I, we had to go out, by the way, we had to go out last Sunday night to Highland Home to lead a worship service there, which was fantastic. And we kind of kicked off our Advent season because last Sunday was the first Sunday of Advent, which reminds me, does anybody have a lighter? I'm going to walk this way like I don't already know who has a lighter because I asked this earlier. And, and um, I'm going to turn this off right quick. Go on now. Thank you. Thank you, Matthew, for that. Um, so it's this time of waiting, and it's this time of remembering, of, of remembering a longing in your life. And you know, last Sunday night we were at the Highland Home and we talked to those folks. We talked about waiting. Have you ever had to wait for a really cool gift? And it was a really good analogy for what we experience uh, with Christ, sometimes even still today. But definitely what people did in, in the years gone by, in the times uh, past. And, and um, so it's this time where they are waiting for the advent, the coming of Jesus. As a matter of fact, I looked up the word Advent just to give you a very basic definition of the word. And Advent is actually Latin. The Latin is Adventus, and it means a coming. It, mean, it means something is coming that's really good. It's, it's really waiting, uh, really worth waiting for. As a matter of fact, it's also defined this way. It's a time of expectant waiting. We knew that part. And preparations for celebration. I won't get into the whole thing about Christmas season and Advent, but if you've talked to me before about it, you'll know I, I, I share a passion about that, because this isn't quite Christmas, this is Advent. Christmas comes when Christ is born. These things that say, keep Christ in Christmas, it, it's almost laughable that we wouldn't, um, because he is Christmas. Jesus Christ is Christmas. There's nothing else to celebrate that day. But Christ's coming. And so these days leading up to, to it for us can become busy and, and uh, kind of crazy maybe sometimes. And so today we're going to start a three-week series. It's kind of the backside here of Advent of remembering what the season is about. And I hope if nothing else, maybe something you get is an encouragement to be allowed to do what you feel compelled to do. What God may be asking you to do this season. That we can actually be called to worship fully to spend less, to give more, and to love all. The season of Christmas becomes so much about the busyness. You know, we've already had Black Friday, which apparently was pretty good. And to be honest with you, I'm a little hesitant to talk too much about it because if you don't support consumerism right now in our culture, in our country, it's almost like you hate jobs, you know? If you don't want to go spend a lot for your family for Christmas, it's almost like you don't want America to recover. And so I understand it's a very weird year for us this year because we are all feeling the effects of the economic downturn in so many ways. And yet, it's no excuse to turn the birth of Christ into a consumer holiday, which is what we've done. We've done it in years past, more so than now. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about worshiping fully, spending less, 
giving more and loving all. And that's what we're going to start today. We're going to start today with worshiping fully. So as we get into the word this morning, I want you to bow your heads with me if you would and pray. Father God, we give you praise and glory today for your word made flesh, for the incarnation of Christ. It's a miracle. I mean, it's beyond reason. It's beyond fathoming really what happened there when, when you sent Jesus to us. When, when you came to live among us. How do we get our minds and hearts around that, Lord? It, it's too great of a truth. It's, it's too big for us. So today, because of our smallness, because of our simple-mindedness about this, Lord, we ask that you would open our minds to the truth. We ask that today we would learn something about our Savior Jesus, something about the God who made us to worship. And that in all ways you'd be glorified and we could just be your people resting in your love and care, your guidance, your rebuke, your discipline, that we could truly know you, our creator, intimately. We love you and thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your spirit who teaches us daily. Pray these things in Christ's holy name. Amen. So this whole thing is kind of called Advent Conspiracy. And I don't want you to think I thought this up because I didn't. There were a few pastors maybe three years ago who got together and got really frustrated with, and they weren't like any denomination. They were just three pastors or five pastors from all over the country who got really frustrated with this Christmas crush. This is before the economic downturn, by the way. This is when money was cheap and easy. And they began this thing called Advent Conspiracy, where they were really seeking to retake these three weeks, four weeks leading up to, to Christmas, for Christ. And the first step in this journey is this idea of worshiping always, or, or fully worshiping, being surrounded in worship in your life, and letting that first and foremost permeate this season of our lives. Everything else is good, but it's not the best. So this morning, we want to get into the Word and we want to kind of read some of these things that we find here that God reveals to us. And the first is, actually, you're going to turn your Bibles to John chapter 4, verses 19 through 26. And this is going to be our, kind of our jumping off text here. John chapter 4. If you're using one of our Bibles, it's 738 in, in the pages there. In your pages. I'll give you a minute to get there. This is a story that you may have heard many times, and I'm, no doubt you have. If you've been in church long, you've heard this story. And I just want to read through it and unpack it a little bit. This is what it said in verse 19. Sir, the woman said, I, I can see you're a great prophet. The fathers worshipped, our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Now, let me just stop a minute. This is an encounter that Jesus has with a Samaritan woman. And the Samaritan woman knew her heritage was that they worshipped on the mountain. But now these, these Judaizers, these, these people who said, we are God's chosen people, say, you must go to Jerusalem to worship. And I want you to hear what Jesus' answer is to her. So Jesus declared, he, he, he pronounced this, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation comes from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, Jesus says, and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and 
and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman says to this, I know the Messiah, called the Christ, is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus declares to her, I who speak to you am he. I can't imagine what, how this woman's life was changed. Now, some of you may know the backstory and, and how Jesus spoke into her life in such powerful ways, convicting her of sins and yet giving her the freedom to know him, to be intimate with him in this moment. And yet, when we get hung up, she's hung up on these ideas of where are we supposed to worship anyway? Who's right and who's wrong? And Jesus makes this proclamation where he says, a time is coming and has now come where the true worshipers worship in spirit and in truth. You know, we spent a few weeks on this series, Gospel-Centered Life, and one of the recurring themes for so many who journeyed in it was this need to live in the presence of the Spirit of God. These things of forgiveness, of, of being rebuked, of, of not being a hypocrite, of loving those who are unlovable. These aren't things we can do on our own, but it's a gift of God's Spirit to dwell with us. And it seems as though, like good children of God, like good followers of Christ, like good learners after him, Jesus, it seems like we have to find that spot where we can dwell in his Spirit. True worshipers worship in spirit and in truth. And what you realize, what Jesus is teaching here, is that it's not about where you go, to worship. It's not about where you are right now to worship. You know, uh, again, one of the things that I get a little hung up on is, is, is words. It bothers me a little bit, especially when it doesn't jive with Scripture, right? There's some things that we'll say as a community of faith, and I mean the big C church now, not just Family Bible Church, that really kind of, you know, just rankle me a little bit. And one is that we're going to go to church, Let's go to church. We're going to be late for church. Hurry up. Church is starting. Okay, so just say this. Biblically, you are the church. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you are the church. Where two or three are gathered, Jesus is with you. You are the church. That means whenever we were out in the community, you know, doing the thing at Walmart, or when the youth group gathers in there, there's just a few people there. They've come to learn about Jesus. Whenever a husband and wife are on their knees before God, praying over a situation they're facing, a trial, whenever friends go before him, when people pray on the phone, when people get in the chat room and they gather up, that's the church. It's not a place you go. It's who you are. That's a biblical definition of church. So what I started to do is, instead of saying, let's go to church, let's go to church, I, I said, um, let's go to worship. Are you ready for worship? Let's go to worship. Come on. And that is true, because we come here today to worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And yet, let's not be deceived in thinking that this is where it happens. Let's not believe that for a minute. It happens here for sure. I mean, what a great opportunity to come and to, to you know, um, I mean, when the, when the worship team is leading us in praise music and our hearts are singing, our souls rejoicing, we're, we're being lifted up to praise his name. It's glorious. It's beautiful. It's amazing. And yet it doesn't have to only happen here. It can infect your whole life. 
worship can. And Jesus proclaims it to a Samaritan woman who wants to know where you go to worship. Where you are, you worship God. Where you are, you see it. Well, let's just start by saying if you worship through praise music, maybe you have a, a special collection of music that you put in. And you know, some of you go, yeah, that's kind of crazy, right? I mean, if people get in my car and they hear that playing, well, they might be encouraged by it. You think? They might be uplifted by it. They might have a struggle that when they know you're that kind of person, they might eventually get to that place we've all been with God where we say, I really need help. I can't do this anymore. So maybe you find ways to integrate worship, praise music into your life. Maybe you begin to see God redeeming all things for the good of his purpose. Maybe you begin to see that, you know, even when you're not listening to praise music, you start to hear God speaking through things. Maybe it's a prophetic voice against the culture who's self-obsessed. And maybe God starts to redeem everything in our lives for him. Everything he lays a claim to it. He stakes out a territory for it. You know, one of, the, one of the conversations that we like to have in the church is about predestination. And I did a study on it because uh, my brother-in-law, who's going to go to seminary himself, he's really hung up on predestination. And so we opened the word of God and we read it and we found that place where it says he predestined you before the beginning of time to be followers. You know, Paul writes, I think it's in Romans. And as I, I dug into the word and I found it, it means he staked out a territory. He's put a boundary, a fence around your life. And that means wherever you go, he's predestined that place to be worshipful to him. If you go into places where you can't see God, you're either not paying attention or God is saying, why are you there? Don't go there. You're outside of the wire. You're over the fence. God calls us to worship him in spirit and in truth. And this is not based on location. It's based on his presence. It's based on us acknowledging his presence. Jesus says, you worship what you do not know, but we worship what we do know, and salvation is coming from the Jews. And by the way, this is what the whole world is waiting for. Thousands of years, the Messiah, when the Messiah comes, when the Messiah comes, and Jesus said, this salvation is coming from the Jews. Christmas is a celebration of this coming, this advent, this showing up of God himself. And if we, God help us, if we make it about anything else, as good as it is, if we make it about cookies or, you know, nice parties or, and I'm not saying that stuff's bad, it's great, let's do that, but let's do it with the mind of Christ. Let's be present to him first and foremost. Let's turn hearts during the season of Advent towards God. Let's turn broken hearts who don't yet know him toward the coming of the one who will save them. Hmm. A time is coming when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth because they are the worshipers that God is looking for. You are the kind of worshiper that God is looking for. Any time in our lives we deny it, we, we let our hearts be turned. You know, we've already talked about how, how God stands above all gods. There's no God, even beside him, let alone, let alone above him. Nothing else is worthy of praise or worship. We realize we should be fixing our hearts and fixing our minds on Christ, fixing our, right now especially as we come into Christmas, 
on those mangers. You know, I heard a great thing. I get those forward emails and stuff, and, and you know, one of my problems with them is that sometimes I feel like people are just jerking my chain to get a reaction, you know? I mean, sometimes I gotta pray that I wouldn't respond rather than I would. And, and one of the things that I got recently, and I was so encouraged, and maybe you can say, hey, because we talked about hypocrisy last week, you say, that's crazy, that's garbage. Well, someone wrote me an email this week, and one of those forwards, and I, I do read them, but I usually don't forward them. I'm sorry, you know? But I do read them, and, and um, prayerfully consider what's in there. And someone said, you know, for all the, and thank God we live here. I mean, we get to have, I've, I've seen the manger up by the Cordy Rex Center already, and we're going to probably have one in the square. I mean, God be praised, because, you know, he's redeeming all things for his glory. But, you know, someone wrote me an email, and they said, for all the complaining about not having activity scenes in the public square, why isn't it in our front yard? Why isn't our house decorations about Jesus instead of about Santa, the fat guy in the red suit? Why isn't it that when people show up at our house, as we wait for the birth of Jesus, the most amazing moment in history, all they see are the trappings and none of the substance? That's kind of a cool idea. If we would all participate in that way. It'd be a lot more than one nativity scene in one spot that we're all fighting over. You know, do what you can in your territory. Let God redeem it. Christmas is coming. And as we wait, we should be worshiping the Father in spirit and in truth. The last thing that she says here is, well, I know, and this is the thing, I know when the Messiah comes, the one called Christ, uh, he will explain everything. And, and, she, and Jesus says to her, I am he. You know what that means? He just did. He just did. He told her. My prayer for you through the next few weeks and through the rest of your life is that you would find God encroaching more and more in your life. That you would find more and more places that God is saying, oh yeah, there you think that that's just for you? That's for worshiping me too. That's my area to bring glory to me. You're my creature. And my prayer for you is that as we go forward, we would begin to do that, really do that. To let him, you know, the song we sang, the dark parts of our heart, let him drive them out with light. Jesus Christ is the reason that we celebrate Christmas. And he's the reason that we wait and we long. Now, I want to read a couple more passages here. But, so there's some things about worship that I want you to understand. It's not based on location. One more thing I'll say here is that, you know, this is the last weekend of shotgun season, right? And um, a lot of the hunters are here, praise God, because you killed out. <laughs> I say praise God because you're here and praise God because you killed out, right? That's a double, that's a win-win. Some of us aren't. Some of us are still out trying to get that, that elusive deer. But I heard someone describing to me how they sense God's presence in a tree stand. Now, I know there are some folks who don't want to hear that. They don't want to believe that that's true, that you can experience God's presence, that you can worship alone with a loaded gun in a tree. Talk to somebody who's a believer and who hunts. It can be done. It can be done. God is redeeming all things for the good of those who love him. He's showing us his purpose for our lives, which is to worship him, to glorify him, and to be present with him, to live in the presence of his spirit so that we can worship him in spirit and in truth. And I pray that you're on that same journey, that you find God redeeming the things that you found unredeemable before him. So, 
not only is it location, not location-centric, but the, the, the other thing is that it's for all time. It's for, and that means all time and all space, right? And I want to pop through a few things here, but the first is that worship begins in the past for us. It begins in the past. And I want to actually turn, and you can turn if you want to, to Matthew. Let's see here what it is. Matthew 2, chapter 2. You don't have to, but if you want to turn there, you can. And I'm just going to read a few things, because this is the verse that comes to mind when I think of worshiping and what it looks like to worship God. It says this, it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east, that's wise men from the east, uh, came to Jerusalem and they asked, Where is this one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and we have come to worship him. Now I'm going to jump down to verse 9, I think. Yeah, verse 9. After they had heard the king, that's King Herod, not the king, the true king that's been born. After they heard King Herod, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen off in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down and they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and incense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. We've heard that story before. We three kings of Orient are, right? They see this star. But even these men who are from a foreign land, who are kind of sent as diplomats, when the star stops, they start to get excited because the prophecy is true. The Messiah is being born in our time, in our place. What's really exciting for you and I as believers in Jesus is that he was born before us. Before we were here, we have the privilege of knowing Christ from the time of our birth. The story's been told and retold. But yet I want you to, for a moment, think about the anticipation they must have felt. The star stopped. This could be it. It's that longing, that waiting. These were men who knew what the prophecy said. I'm not sure if they'd been sent out on errands before like this with all of their gifts they were going to give to the new king. Maybe a little bribery there, right? Trying to get some grace out of this one who would be so great. In this place, they show up to see Jesus. And we talked about this two years ago, but I want to refresh your memory real quickly. It says, on coming to the house, they saw the child with their mother. They bowed down and worshipped him. And they opened their treasures. But I just want to stop right there and worshipped him. They worshipped him in that place. I don't know what you think a diplomat should do when they greet someone from a foreign, uh, a foreign leader or someone from a foreign country, but it's a tenacious issue. It's, it's touchy. You want to do it right. You can give a gift, but you want to do it right. You know what it says when they worshiped him? It means they fell down face first on the ground and they worshiped him. It's not a position of power when you worship. It's not a place that you come as one who commands authority when you worship. As I was preparing for this week, I was amazed how many times in the Scripture, both First Testament and New Testament, when worship is mentioned, bowing down is mentioned. And, they, and you know, we can do like a cool, you know, hey, take a knee, guys, take a knee. Let's, let's pray. Let's, but we've talked about this before. It means they were prostrate. Did I say that right? I always get it wrong. They were flat out on their face. 
because they had encountered the living God. And something happens when you encounter the living God that you ain't about your pride, you ain't about your ego, you ain't even about the gifts that you brought to show him because he's God. That's worship. Two years ago, we talked about this image of kissing the hand of submitting fully. You know, I've had a dog now for a few months, and, and when RJ's really happy we're home, he rolls up, he runs up and just kind of ditches and, and flips over like this, and he's like, oh, you're home. And that's why I think of these magi, these men of integrity, men of authority. When they show up and they meet the real king, they worship just like that. Oh, you're home. Praise your name. You've come. Now see, that is an encounter with a living God. And that's what we experience when we meet Jesus. And that's in the Advent what we should be waiting for. It's ours to have every day. We don't have to wait for the 25th of December to do this. It's ours. It's a gift. But it's worship. And it's all about submitting ourselves. Laying down before him. So these men saw this proclamation fulfilled and they were so overwhelmed, overjoyed that they worshiped. It was an automatic response. Here's the other connection. I'm going to go back one here because this is the other connection for this. It begins in the past. I would say worship begins in your past as well. Because as a believer in Jesus, when you meet him, it's amazing. But I want to say if you want, if you want grace to well up in your heart, if, if you want excitement to just bubble through your spirit, if you want to have joy like no one else, I want you to look back at how God has redeemed things in your life. It happens there. We don't often see God working in the present, but when we look back, we just, I just want to roll over and say, oh, you're so good to me. You loved me so much. And I want to worship him all the time all the time now because what he did before we see Jesus redeeming our past and we worship him fully surrounded in worship I pray that's where we're going folks I pray that's where we're heading here the second thing is this worship continues in the present right so it begins in the past but continues in the present and I'm going to flip here. You can flip them if you want. You don't have to. It's going to go to the book of Luke. This is another story that we hear of Jesus. And it's in the very, very end. And this is an odd place, again, to find worship, maybe. Maybe. Right? But I want you to see how this is timeless worship is. Because it happened with the Magi when they came from the east. They, they knelt down, they worshiped, and they kissed his hand. This baby. I mean, I can't imagine that scene. Can you just get your head around that for a minute? How embarrassing for the folks who sent those guys over, you know, to, to do that, to just... It continues in the present. Listen to what it says in Luke 24, verse 52 and 53. It says this, Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Now I want you to hear the context. Let's go, go back a few. This is Jesus. This is the very last thing that comes in the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, the good news according to Luke. And the last thing that he reports to us before he writes the book of Acts, which actually is his second book. He continues on in Acts. We have this resurrected Christ. We have Jesus who has been uh, murdered, been killed to pay for the sins that he didn't commit. 
And after he was dead and his disciples were dispersed and everyone was hopeless and there was no way, three days later, Christ is raised from the dead. And in this time, he comes and he spends time with his disciples and he loves them and he talks to them and he even loves Thomas. And don't you love it that Jesus loves Thomas? Because he's so patient with us. He's such a gift to us. But in this time, Jesus ascends into heaven. It says in verse 50, when he had led them out to the vicinity of Beth Bethany, he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken into heaven. And at that time, at that place, they worshiped him. And they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually in the temple, praising God. This is worship in the present. This means that this is where we are right now. You and I, still to this day, are in this place right now of worshiping God, worshiping Jesus. Because he has blessed us and he has, uh, he has gone into heaven and yet they are overjoyed as they wait. Season of Advent can be hard because we have to continually wait on God, continually wait for God to do the next step. You know, I told you about RJ a moment ago. One of the funniest things, and, and I, I hate to be so simplistic as to say, you know, the things I learned about my, from my dog about God, or from my dog about discipleship. RJ is crazy because he's so excited to go anywhere with you. He'll just take off running like that, you know. And then all of a sudden, he stops and looks back. And you go that way, and he runs back over this way. And I feel like that's how I am so much as a Christian with Jesus. Because I go, oh, we're going over there. Let's go. It's going to be so cool, Jesus. And I take off like that. And all of a sudden, I look back. I go, oh, wait. No, you're going up that way. Okay, let's go over here. And, and living in that center of Christ, living in that center place of worship with Jesus requires that we be always attending to him, always looking toward him, always waiting upon him. And the same is true of life in the Spirit. We have to always be discerning. Is this where God is going? If you don't know, don't go. If you're not 100% sure that Jesus is taking you there, don't run off. He will guide you. He will lead you. I'm convinced that we make messes when we do that, when we presume upon where Jesus is taking us instead of letting him lead first. Worship is in the present as we wait for him to re return, which is what we're going to talk about next. We can worship him in spirit and in truth. Look, when they went back to Jerusalem, they were filled with great joy. I, I don't know how that works for those guys. I would think that if I had been able to see Jesus, even as his disciple, before he was killed, put to death on the cross, I, I would think that I would be so despondent that the minute he showed up, I would never let him go. Like, my vision of him ascending to heaven would be, he would have been going, and I would have been hanging on to his, his bottom of his white dress, because that's what he, wear, he wore, right, in all the pictures we see. And I would just been like, I can't let go, I mean, because I'm going up with you. Do you know what I'm saying? How do you, at that point, let him go and worship him and then return home overjoyed in your Lord? Well, they did. And that's what we're called to do to go back into the regular places of life, to go back into our Jerusalem, our hometowns, and be overjoyed because we've experienced God. We've known what it means to be with the Lord, and we've worshipped Him, redeeming Jerusalem in our own lives. 
Wow, that's so cool. And so we, we get to see him every day. And, and here's the connection for us. So those who were there saw him and worshipped him and went home with great joy. But for us, those who are paying attention to what God is doing, regardless of the storms, regardless of the fog that we might be facing in our lives right now, if you continually pursue Christ, stay right in step with him, he is leading you to the promised land. And those who are dwelling in his uh, the in his spirit daily, living in that sweet spot, come what may, have this blessing of knowing his presence every day, worshiping him every day, <laughs> following him, and watching him redeem, not the past, not redeem something back there that, boy, that was a mess and you made it right, Jesus, but going... This day has potential to be a train wreck, Lord. Guide me through it. Lead me today. And in that place of God's presence, we see him redeem things in the moment, save things that are unsavable, give us hope where there's none. We get to watch him redeem each day. The last one is this here. Worship continues, stretches on into the future, into the future, right? There's this idea of eternal worship, this idea that we're going to be able to be worshiping God forever and ever. And this is very true for those who are waiting for his return. As a matter of fact, this Advent season isn't so unfamiliar to us because lest we forget, Jesus is coming back. And as you may have heard before, when he comes back, he's not coming in the way that we saw him the first time. If you read the Bible, and I hope that you do, read the Word of God. If you read the revealed Word of God, the inspired Word of God, it confesses to us that when Christ returns, he returns as king. It confesses that the reason there's even this time in between of waiting is for you and for me that we can be redeemed. It's a gift to us that we can be made right with God before Jesus comes as king. Worship, I found this interesting. Worship is only mentioned more in the book of Revelation than the book of Matthew. Matthew has more talk about worship than any book in the Bible. If you want to read a book about worship, read Matthew. It's worship, 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 worship. But Revelation is like, Rapid-fire worship. It's like worship all over the place in, in Revelation. It's filled with it. The only place that worship is more prevalent than when Jesus came the first time is when he returns for eternity. That is the place of fully worshiping God. And those who trust him, whatever lies ahead, whatever uh, the, the future has in store for us, get to lean into the worship of the future. That's what we call faith. Because come what may, we know our Lord is leading. And if we are prayerfully discerning, if we are being present with him, he is guiding us in our steps. And as uncertain as the world is around us, and this is a great time of uncertainty for many people, we can trust that he is in control and leading us forward. And we can lean into the future, not shirk back, not be afraid. But we can press on trusting fully that he has prepared a land for us that lies ahead. This is what the book of Revelation is filled with, is this land ahead, this land we are going to to. But this time now where we live is a time of faith. 
Hebrews 11 confesses this. It says, we know Hebrews 11 is the faith chapter, but it says, you cannot please God without it. You, you can't. If you aren't exhibiting faith in your life, if you aren't letting it creep into the boundaries of your existence, God isn't pleased. God isn't pleased. You know, there's so much more to say, and I'm not going to do it. We're going to be done right here. I, I want to finish up with one thing from Revelation, but before we do that, I, I, I want to say this worshiping God fully, it means all times, all places, and the last is all people. You know, we, if you want to go and see some great worship, it seems like if you go to like some really poor areas, uh, especially countries, not just areas in our very wealthy nation, but very poor countries, they worship God. It's a whole, it's a transcendent experience to be with them because it's not an option. When they pray the prayer, give us this day our daily bread, they mean it because if it, God doesn't give it, it's not coming. To live in that place isn't reserved for those who are poor. As a matter of fact, I think many times those of us who have so much have the bigger struggle. Do we even need him? Are we even happy he's home? In our culture of excess, are we even celebrating his coming? So it's for all time it's for all places, and it's for all people. For all people. The last text, I'm just going to read it. it comes from the book of Revelation. I just, I'm just blown away by this text. I want you to hear it with me. I'm going to kind of pick up in the middle. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to. I'm going to, I'll pull it up there, but you don't have to turn there if you don't want to. It's not the whole books. We're going to read part of it here. But I want to start in Revelation chapter uh, 4, verse 7. Or actually, verse. let's start in verse 8. It says this, each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around. This is some crazy stuff. And even under his wings they had eyes. Night and day they kept saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. They said that repeatedly. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. That reminds me, if you're one of those folks who don't like to repeat a chorus, I'm one of those folks. We might be in trouble. <laughs> It might become worshipful here in a little bit. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, listen to what it says, and whose lives are forever and ever, the 24 elders fell down before him, wait, fell down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They laid their crowns down at his throne and they say, you are worthy, our God, and Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power because you created all things and by your will they were created and they have their being in you. It's all about him. This is the confession that we still have today. I want to read on in, verse, in chapter 5. It says this, Then I saw a bright hand of him who sat on the throne, and a scroll with writing on both sides, and it was sealed with seven seals. And I saw the mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? I want to read on here because so far we've heard that God is worthy of praise. That God is worthy. The creator God is worthy of praise. And I saw a mighty angel say, who is worthy to break the seals and open this scroll? But listen, no one in heaven, nor no one in earth, nor no one under the earth could open this scroll or even take a peek inside. It was sealed 
And John writes, and he says in verse 4, I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to even look inside the scroll. And then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, of the root of David, has triumphed. Do you hear the Christmas story? He is able to open the scroll and reveal its seven seals. And then John says, I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. And he had seven horns and seven eyes, and all the seven spirits of God were sent out to the earth from him. He came and took the scroll in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down where? Before the lamb. And each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense which the prayers were the prayers of the saints and they sang a brand new song you are worthy to take the scrolls to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God for every tribe and language people and nation you have made them to be a kingdom and priest to serve our God and they will reign on the earth and then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering in thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. And they encircled this great throne, the living creatures and the elders. And in a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. When I heard every creature in heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down on their faces and worshipped. The place we are going, folks, is filled with worship and glory. But it's not ours, it's Jesus's. And I pray that this season, you know, anything that's in the way, take it out. Don't let it be about anything else. Guard it. Protect it. You can get stuff some other time. Make it about Jesus this season. Let's pray. Father, today we come and we just thank you for, I mean, the incredible work you did in coming to live with us, coming to die for us. How do we get our heads around it? And today, Lord, I, I don't know if, if there are folks here who don't even get the Christmas thing. It's for malls and stores and stuff. Boy, my concern is for those who do know you, don't let the enemy come in and steal your glory. Have your way. Lord, today we pray that as we prepare for Christmas, may we prepare our hearts for worship every day. As we prepare for eternity, may we prepare our hearts for worship every day so we get to heaven, to your glory, to your throne, to the elders. We wouldn't be lost for words. We wouldn't be surprised by the glory, but we would know it because we've tasted it here. We've known worship with you now. Father, you are the redeemer of all things, and through your Son, we confess it. You've made all things right as hard as they are. You're the God of the past, the present, the future. We claim that for you. Your territory in our lives have your way. May you be glorified today. We give you praise and glory. 
as we respond here and sing to you, we give you praise and glory and preparation for the kingdom that is coming. We pray these things in the name of the mighty Lamb. Amen. Thank you.